Joining me to help us make sense of the political division we've been witnessing, especially over the last year, is Reverend and new KSFR board member Rick Iannucci. And the reason we've brought him on today is because he's also a reverend of many colors. I'd like to share information about Rick Iannucci's past, not for the sake of bragging about his credentials, nor boring you with the details of a long introduction when you're dying to just listen to him, not me, but... I share the details of his professional life due to their extreme relevance to the topic we're taking on today, and that is healing the divide, an unparalleled one in recent years within our political landscape. And the goal is to gain wisdom by looking at it through the lens of spirituality in hopes of garnering some wisdom for our future and accountability on all sides as we move toward greater unity and a look at what that might actually require of each one of us. Reverend Rick Iannucci is an ordained Celtic Catholic priest, and he is also our newly appointed state Senate chaplain. He's also a former Green Beret with worldwide deployments who also spent time as an instructor at West Point. He's a retired U.S. Marshal whose special operations program in Colombia was hailed for establishing peace amidst 40-year-old guerrilla warfare. He's also the Chaplaincy Section Chair for the National Tactical Officers Association. If you're a regular listener to KSFR, you know he also works at the Santa Fe Police Department as their chaplain, where he plays a central role in conflict resolution, and as he calls it, responding in reverence in crisis situations. He also has numerous degrees and postgraduate certificates from some of our nation's top academic institutions, from Baylor Truett Seminary to Yale Divinity School to Trinity College in Dublin, among others, where much of his focus has been on a trauma-informed approach to pastoral crisis intervention and care. This is the life's work that informs his perspective and his chaplaincy and ministry. And I'd like to begin our conversation with his opening prayer to the 2020 legislative session. I'm hoping that his words may help us gain wisdom for how to move forward toward unity and perhaps find comfort, hope, strength, and above all, inspiration from his words. Lieutenant Governor Morales, Madam Pro Temp, Majority Leader Worth, Minority Leader Engel, Good afternoon to you and everyone at the Capitol and everyone with us virtually. Today we open the 55th legislative session and I'm humbled and honored to again be with you all for a fifth year now and to assume the duties as your Senate chaplain. It is a bittersweet honor though as the former Senate chaplain, the Reverend Dr. Richard William Murphy, Father Rich, who served this body for the past seven years and a man who was a friend and brother to many of us passed away peacefully at home with his wife, Carol, by his side on January 7th. All of us know how much spiritual vitality, goodwill, and peace he brought to this house. Transcending doctrine and dogma, he invited us to pray in all the holy names of God, no exceptions. So as we go forth in this session, we remember this man of impeccable integrity, who honored what Jesus told us in Matthew were the greatest commands, as he loved God with all his heart and all his soul and all his mind and his neighbor as himself. And as Rich would add, everything else is commentary. 
In his last days, Father Rich and I discussed for what should we pray during this session, and that our most pressing problems today are characterized and complicated by unprecedented levels of complexity, confusion, and consternation, and sometimes the consequent breakdown of our conventional problem-solving paradigms. We hunger for clarity and wisdom, wisdom that will fortify us through our journey and beyond this legislative session, when the chain link fences come down and even beyond our elected terms, when we can see each other's smiles because we don't have to wear masks anymore. So in our clarity, we recognize our need to invoke the power and blessing of the creator of our galaxies, the one who has breathed life into all of us and everything on our planet. So let us pray together. Creator, great mystery, grant us a collective wisdom that transcends our rigidness, our doctrines and dogmas, religious, political, and otherwise. Let that wisdom manifest in humility rather than arrogance. Enrich our ability to trust and explore difficult subjects that contain our shortfalls and fear of failure. And let us remember that our differences do not have to be our divisions. Provide us with the strength of character that is evident in quiet confidence and help us to remember that you never said, thou shalt be right. And not knowing it all is actually our strength and our ability to ask deep and hard questions is more important than offering superficial answers. We pray that imagination, commitment, patience, openness, and trust in one another as divine being, children of a good and gracious God, will ultimately be our collective bias. So when our work as co-creators with you, Lord, is complete, what binds us together is greater than what drives us apart. Amen. Welcome, Reverend Rick. It's just such a pleasure to have you on our show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, MK. I'd like to begin part two of this conversation with the following question. Last week, we talked about media as contributing to the political division that we're seeing these days. Do we need to uh, hold our media now accountable as human beings to, to be more forthright and more human in even their presentation? I think we should make everybody more accountable. Our leaders have to be more accountable. I was a little bit saddened, actually, in the 32 years that I've lived here in Santa Fe. My heart sank when I walked by the Capitol the other day, the Roundhouse, and saw it with seven-foot-high chain-link fence around it, police and National Guard on the street. Is this any way to run a democracy? In that sadness, I challenge these leaders to take a look inside themselves at their own hypocrisy. What is really true? Are we pressing an agenda? Or are we pressing the truth? You know, and we need to turn around and trust one another again as these divine beings. Ultimately, as I said in the prayer, our collective bias, when our work as co-creators with the Lord is complete, what binds us together should be greater than these things that drive us apart. You talk about the importance of differences. Can you give us your perspective on how we reach greater unity? Well, the first thing we have to start with, you, you can't just have unity. Unity isn't be reasonable, do it my way. Unity is when we're all together after a spell of civility. So we have to start with civility first. We have to start being civil to one another and stop this crazy demonizing each other just because somebody voted a certain way or believed a certain way. One man's fake news is another's disinformation. 
how do we redefine truth for ourselves so that we can find a better way to to speak to one another and as you say enrich our ability to trust and explore difficult subjects together we have to hit the pause button before we hit the reset button and then start doing something that many people have stopped doing and that is actually listening to each other's stories once we start listening to each other's stories the real stories and understanding their perspective. The Native Americans say you don't know a man until you've walked a mile in his moccasins. New Mexico's home to about 19 different Pueblo tribes. We've got about 11 different indigenous languages, and between them, six speak Tua, the Nambe, the Okiawinge, Powake, San Odefazo, Santa Clara, the Suki, that probably make a certain amount of speakers, maybe a couple thousand at best. In comparison, there's 6,700 languages spoken across 196 countries, and of these, 75 are considered lost languages with over 10 million speakers or or larger languages. So just looking at those numbers from a socio-anthropological point of view tell us that we're all speaking our own language, and they're all different, and they are true. Take that one step further, and let's look at what shapes and what informs our respective political opinions. There are the haves and there are the have-nots. There are the people that live in parts of Santa Fe, for instance, that have walls around them, that have codes to get in, that are gated communities. And then there are people that are living in manufactured homes, for instance, on the south side. Their reality is very different than the reality in the gated community. What we have to do is bring those together and what do we share in commonality? And that's that divine spark that we have to start recognizing in what we used to call the other. And there should be a wanting together. We should understand that. We should express that using God-given things that we have. Imagination, as I talked about in my prayer, the commitment to work with one another, to actually listen, the patience to do that, and the openness and, and the trust that we can have in each other as divine human beings. That was very interesting, that the, the idea that actually trust is so critical to have the conversation. And what I say to people, if they're saying, how do I try to listen to the other side? I say, find someone that you love and that you trust who has a different political opinion than you do and begin the conversation in a way that explores that conversation, not from a standpoint of you're ready to prove them wrong, but you would like to prove how right they are to understand their perspective from the standpoint of their rightness, not your rightness, but their rightness and why it works for them. To make it scripturally sound, you know, how do you look at the splinter in your neighbor's eye when you can't notice the log in your own? All these things that are scriptural. We're getting so far secular that we've lost the guidance of our respective faith traditions. And it's in many faith traditions that it says the same thing. So hypocrisy has been one of the hallmarks of the failure of nations. So we really have to zero back in on what is kind, what is meaningful, what is helpful. We get bombarded every day with news, with information. When I look at some of these polls, what are the least liked things? One is Congress, the second one is the media. (laughs) It's like, wow, we've lost confidence in our news gathering sources. And you can look yourself uh, on the internet or anywhere, and you you can look at one story. Uh, I I had to laugh during the, you know, being a former United States Marshal and having been a SWAT commander, I had to 
scratch my head again when I looked at a reporter, for instance, a CNN reporter, standing on the ground with police cars and buildings burning behind him, characterizing this particular protest as a generally peaceful protest. (laughs) You know, what planet is this guy on? What narrative are they trying to curry and develop when a whole neighborhood turns around and burns down a police precinct and we all go, oh, hmm, okay, not a big problem. And then we turn around and our outrage is geared towards the Capitol. I'm outraged too, don't get me wrong. I worked in that building, so I know. You know, when I worked for the Director of National Intelligence, I made many trips there to to work on different projects. It is a symbol, it is an icon. But also, I worked in police precincts in my career in law enforcement. So having the police precinct burned down equally infuriated me as what happened on the Capitol steps and in in the halls of Congress. So where is everyone's equal outrage? You know, we want to pick and choose what will fuel our outrage. You know, there's such a disparity between competing worldviews. That's where we need to calm down and have, again, dialogue. Right. I wondered where the Congress's outrage is over the opioid epidemic and the number of 65,000 people who are dead as a result of that. Where's My question was, where's the outrage for that? Why are we not seeing our politicians outraged by the kind of damage that can be done through war, for example. There's lots to be outraged about if one is truly paying attention in terms of our congressional representatives. You've been on the front lines of battle and conflict many times and also on the front lines of peace and how you make peace and mediate situations down and responding with reverence, as you have coined it. Does it seem as though the world has kind of temporarily lost its mind and and ever, and we are in sort of a war at the moment? What we have to remember is peace is not the absence of conflict or war. Peace is the opportunity to be able to mitigate conflict to the level of, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, a level of civility where we can all live together in some form of unity. As a former Green Beret, we were used to working in an ambiguous environment where lines are constantly blurred, where we are trying to work with an indigenous population of of people And our motto was to free the oppressed. So oppression is is usually pretty clearly seen. Peace comes through accepting the kind of grace and understanding that we can have with each other. That will lead us to unity, peace, or grace and peace together. We don't always have to accept the political perspective or the ideology, religious or otherwise, of another person or another group. But what we have to be able to do is understand that they are also children of God in their respect. And we have to be able to listen to that and then start trying to understand what is it that informs their worldview. Is it media? Are they hungry? Do they not have a roof over their head while everyone's saying one thing, uh, they're experiencing another? So these are the things that, that that help us to develop that ability to listen, to place ourselves in that position of proximity to each other so that we can listen and not do it from the sidelines.
do it from the front lines. So it sounds like it's ultimately a challenge for each one of us, as, as you say, on the front lines to perhaps get off our, our high horses and, and move away from what we're now hearing in the media, which is a push toward a, a quote, common set of facts, unquote. And instead, it sounds like we need to be moving more toward a common set of values that are based in tolerance and respect? A common set of facts are hard to come by because it depends on how facts are being funneled to you and how you're, how you're receiving them. Sometimes people present facts, especially in our media today, um, as they would like the narrative to be viewed, uh, no matter what side people are on. Uh, so it's all in that perspective. As just a couple in your own household, think about that. You know, there's his point of view. You know, hey, he leaves his socks on the lamp, you know, and her, her, uh, and, and that's okay. And then her point of view is, uh, I don't get any help in the house, you know, uh, or, or whatever the story is as to what's happening. Uh, traditionally, midterm elections uh, after, the, after a new president is in are usually, usually swing the other way because people are responding and they want their voice to be heard. We have to hear each other's voices, whether we agree with what they say or not. We can't appoint ourselves as the most righteous of all. They need programming or the demonizing of each other, the phobia that's just as as demonstrative and just as demeaning uh, as what one side portrays on another, um, has to stop, has to end. Right. An injustice to one, as Desmond Tutu says, is an injustice to all. Uh, That also goes for free speech. The minute you limit one set of, quote, facts, you stand to be limited yourself. Yeah, that's the... that's the golden rule. Yeah, the golden rule extends through through everything. We have to use that as our north star. We we have to treat others as we would have them treat us, and and it's very very simple. We go to the media as if we're seeking truth, but we don't realize that the agenda behind media has has to do with anything but truth. They are there to make money, to get our eyes on their channel, to watch their advertising. Right. They get a particular genre. They get a particular group of people that they know that their message, that their advertisers, etc., will resonate with. And they craft the message around that. And that is, that is why it's going to be very difficult to get a certain set of common facts, because they're not doing journalism anymore. They're promoting their own networks, the, the network philosophy. Everything is hand-picked. Every pundit is hand-picked. Here's how we start sculpting our own uh, message instead of walking into a room and saying, what do you got on your mind, everybody? We can continue to, to sculpt that. Yes, absolutely. Um, any final words? Well, as they say, all politics are local, and um, we we have to start with ourselves first, and that means starting in our own homes, making peace amongst ourselves, developing that peace. And I know it's hard uh, in a pandemic. We're closed in with one another. There hasn't been a lot of social interaction beyond our own family units and things of that nature. But I would like to start a new movement, a purple movement, a movement that's made up of 
red and blue together as we move forward. We have a perfect opportunity with our state legislature coming up, uh, even though it's predominantly a Democrat-heavy administration right now. I would propose that we start something simple. I'd love to give everybody a purple button. And for the people that are saying, I will listen to the other side, we need to move forward in a in a in a not only a bipartisan way, but a civil way where we respect each other and we respect each other as also being made in the image and likeness of a good and gracious God. For KSFR, this is M.K. Mendoza.